SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep. It is Friday once again. This Friday is a little bit different, though. If you're an American soccer fan, you're feeling pretty good today. You're also probably feeling a little tired today. Between last night's drama, U.S. men's national team, this morning's crazier drama, U.S. women's national team, there's a lot to get to. There's a lot to cover. And if you're a fan of both and you watch both, I salute you. And you're probably uh, drinking a ton of coffee right now trying to recover, as as am I. But yes, both the U.S. men and U.S. women won their matches, tournament, big tournament matches, to move a step closer to hardware. And how about the U.S. women? In dramatic fashion, penalty shootout, Alyssa Nair. It was a great 24 hours for American goalkeepers, by the way, between Matt Turner and Alyssa Nair. I mean, come on. Neither team wins, if not for the heroics of their goalkeepers. And we'll get into that in a little bit. We'll talk U.S. men's national team, their win 1-0 over Qatar. We'll talk U.S. women's national team and their penalty shootout win over the Netherlands. And then we'll touch on some MLS before we wrap things up. And if you're listening to this right now, hopefully you're listening to this on late Friday afternoon and you're asking yourself, well, where was this show in the morning? Because I know, I know I've said Friday morning. Well, I didn't end up changing my plans. I'm recording this Friday afternoon. My flight to Vegas is Friday evening, thankfully. Good thing I changed the flight because I would have missed the U.S. women and their dramatic victory. And I probably wouldn't have gotten any sleep. Uh, between just being up last night working on on follow-up stuff on the U.S. men's game. But here I am knocking this out before I pack for Vegas and the Gold Cup final. U.S. MNT versus Mexico. One more time. For the second time this summer, the U.S. and Mexico playing for a trophy. And we'll get into that a little bit. First things first, U.S. men defeat Qatar 1-0 in a dramatic dramatic semifinal down in Austin. It has it had its swings, its ups and downs. The US men were not great in the first half. They were pretty bad in the first half. Qatar was what we thought they were in terms of an attacking team, a, a good attacking team that could create chances and could cause problems for a defense. And wouldn't you know the US uh, US defense looked a little shaky in the first half. Particularly James Sands, which was a little obviously surprising. It was, it was his first his first kind of rough performance. He he had, you know, he had a turnover, he had a near nearly an own goal, and then he uh and then he was called for a penalty. I mean, that's a trifecta right there. You don't normally get from him. You don't normally you normally get none of those. And you got all three. And not to pile on James Sands, because it wasn't just James Sands that, that was struggling in that first half. For starters, the U.S. attack wasn't doing very much. The midfield was not doing well to contain Qatar's midfield. And then the back four just, you know, looked rattled, to be to be completely honest. Looked rattled, except for Miles Robinson, because he, he's just a statue. But credit Matt Turner coming up with some huge saves to keep Qatar off the board. And, and also Qatar with some terrible finishing. Let's be real here. 
Qatar absolutely had the, had opportunities to finish and put a goal up, a goal or two on the board, which would have obviously changed things dramatically. You go down early against Qatar, you had you know you start chasing the game, and that's when they hit you even more on the counter, and they can overwhelm you. But thanks to Matt Turner, the U.S. stayed in range. They stayed in the game. It stayed 0-0. And then in the second half, the U.S. really took control. And and you saw Qatar really start to fade. And then Greg Berhalter made the substitutions he needed to make to really turn things around. And that U.S. team, did they did wear down Qatar. You can't say that. But the 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 performances of the substitutes were was really for me the story. I mean, other than my, obviously Matt Turner and his heroics. Just when when you think about who who stepped up, who came off the bench to really do well, and and you look at right off the bat, Jossie's artist, everyone's favorite, uh, you know, punching bag for complaints about him being on the team. And you know who you are, people. If you're listening to this show and you love to revel in some Jossie's artist slander, you know who you are. And all the guy does is produce. I mean, aside from him being like the nicest guy on earth, the most selfless guy on earth, he produces. He gets it done. He 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 gets into spots for goals. He sets up goals. He helps make goals happen by being involved. He just he's, he gets things. He gets it done. Is he the best striker in the player pool? No, I wouldn't say that. But you know what? You can count on him. If you put him on the field, he's going to do something. He's going to, he's going to make something happen. He's going to help you. He's going to find a way to either score a goal or help a goal happen. And he's been doing it for a few years now. And in that time, you've heard it over and over from U.S. fans. Oh, Jassy Tardis. Like, why this guy? Like, can't we find some young forward, some other young striker? And right now, there's a ton of young strikers in the pipeline. So for a lot of you who have been saying that for years, your wish will be granted soon enough. But for right now, in this Gold Cup, there's been some pretty clear evidence that people may, maybe need to start giving, showing this guy some respect and maybe stop being so quick to hype up the young guys. And look, it's I get it. It's always going to be a thing. You're always going to love the young guys and the potential. But don't overlook a veteran who continues to do it and get it done for you. And when the roster, I still remember when the roster was named for the Gold Cup, it was like, oh, yes, J- uh, Daryl DK is on here. Daryl DK, hopefully he's the guy. Why is Jossie Zardes on this roster? That was pretty much the same The same people who were super happy that DK was on there. We're looking at Zardes' name and saying, get him out of there. Let's, get in, let's have all young guys. And guess what, folks? Who's been the more impressive forward in this tournament? Not Daryl DK. And in fairness to Daryl DK, could he be carrying an injury right now? Could he be playing with a shoulder issue from the, the knock that he took against Canada? Possibly. But what we do know is that he has not played well. He's gotten three straight starts and has struggled for three straight matches and probably had his worst game of the tournament against Qatar. Because not only was he largely kind of invisible, but he actually had opportunities this time. He had he had service. And there were two plays in particular that stand out to me. One was a pass from Shaq Moore. A really nice through pass to spring DK in the penalty area. And he takes a terrible touch. If he takes a good touch, he sets himself up for a good chance. He wasted it. And then the more egregious one was uh, Matthew Hoppy with a beautiful pass. Setting him up on the doorstep with a golden scoring opportunity. He put it on a platter. Gave DK the chance to be the hero. And it was saved pretty comfortably. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Just because he's struggling does not mean Daryl DK doesn't have a great future with the national team. He absolutely still does have a bright future. He has all the talent in the world. He just needs to he needs to develop more. He needs more game time. 
to really sharpen his skills to be consistent and to be able to consistently produce on the international level. And that's going to come. But for right now, how about we start giving Jossie Zara some credit for what he's been doing for, for, for a few years now and for what he continues to do. And that's why for me, I got to say, it's a pretty safe bet. It's got to be a lock that he starts in the Gold Cup final. He should absolutely start. And I, I did find it interesting that, and you all, if those of you who listen to the show, you know that when I was projecting the lineup for the Qatar game, I had Zardis in there. I've actually had Zardis projected to start a couple of matches now. And Greg Berhalter apparently told the, the, the announcers for Fox, uh, for Fox Sports that, you know what, if this was a World Cup qualifier, Jossie Zardis would have started. And that really put things into perspective and provided a reminder that, listen, this Gold Cup is for, is for the young players. Greg Berhalter said that coming in. He wanted to look at some new faces and see how they could handle things. He wanted to give them the opportunity, kind of a sink or swim, see how they could do it, see how they could handle themselves. And that's why he's continued to start. Gianluca Busio, Daryl DK, and also Shaq Moore, who although he's not as quite as young as those other guys, he's kind of new to Berhalter's plans. He's new to Berhalter's picture. And for the most part, Shaq Moore's done pretty well for himself. But getting back to DK and getting back to Zardes, while yes, it has been important to get these young players the experience to kind of see where they stack up and also to give them that experience to help them grow as players. At a certain point, you got to turn to the guys who produce. You got to turn to the veterans, especially in a final. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that shortly into, you know, the potential starting lineup against Mexico. We'll, we'll definitely, obviously, you know, we're going to get on to that. But I just wanted to kind of give Zardis his credit and also the subs in general. When you think about Nicholas Giacchini coming on, less than 10 minutes to play. He makes things happen, and he's done it all tournament. I gotta, I have, my respect for Giacchini has grown a ton because he, you can, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you give him one minute, five minutes, nine minutes. He's gonna give you the hardest working nine minutes you can imagine, and he can make things happen. And he's been doing it perfect, and and that's the perfect attitude. You love that because impact and reliable options that can make an impact off the bench are invaluable. And look, look, I mean, honestly, I think part of the appeal for Burhalter with Jonathan Lewis is that he saw Jonathan Lewis as someone who could potentially be an impact player on, off the bench be with his speed, his ability to go at people. But obviously, it's never come off or hasn't really come off to justify his role or his place in the team. Giacchini has clearly put his foot forward. And absolutely is someone that, you know what, if Burhalter's constructing his team and he's saying to himself, you know what, I need, I need someone who I know is going to give me something off the bench. Giacchini has put his stamp on that potential role. And I love that fact that he has embraced that. That's great. That You love to see that. And then there's Eric Williamson, who, much like Giacchini, came on after the 80th minute. But I tell you what, for, for Williamson playing, what, nine minutes, like I, it felt like he played 30 minutes. Or more, just because he did so much in that short amount of time in terms of recoveries, in terms of passes, in terms of dribbling through the defense. Like he, I mean, honestly, he did more in his nine minutes than some other players did, you know, like for the whole game. And it was, it was pretty funny because when the game ended, I thought to myself, man, Williamson did so much. But then I looked at the stats and I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot that he only played like nine minutes. But that, that just shows you what he did, how much he was able to do, including his role in the sequence on the winning goal. 
him and Giacchini combining to set up Zardis. And as much as it was a relatively brief cameo, I got to say, I liked what I saw from, from Williamson. And, and part of me is like, well, you know what? Can that translate into a starting role in the final? And, I, and honestly, the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what? I don't see Burhalter doing it. But I think he should do it. And as I always tell people, context matters. And, and we should consider Williamson's appearance and his performance and the context and what he was up against. Williamson was playing a very tired, on-the-ropes guitar team. Who was get, They were done. They were toast at that point in the game. And Williamson, fresh legs, came on and was excellent. Excellent on the ball, excellent in pre- applying pressure defensively, excellent in combining. He, did, he had a perfect cameo. He had a perfect substitute's appearance. But again, how much of that is him and how much of that is Qatar just being done, being, being on fumes? And that's something that Greg Berhalter is going to have to consider if he's really thinking about, about the lineup. And, you know, the reason I'm even saying that for Williamson is because, look, Busio, Gianluca Busio, another star for him. And obviously, Berhalter is a huge fan, and he sees the potential, and and he and the potential is there. He the kid is supremely talented, but has he really played well enough in the past couple of games to justify a start in the final? That's the big question because it's it's fine to want to commit to getting experience to your young players, but now that you get to the final. You kind of need to go with the best options, period, whether they're young or older. And it's all well and good to say, yeah, but, you know, the young kids get them an experience in a final that's invaluable. Yeah, That's fine. But listen, the trophy's on the line now. You're playing Mexico now. Tough team. Very tough team. Very good midfield. I mean, close to pretty much their first choice midfield. I know Andres Guardado's not there, but Hector Herrera, Edson Alvarado, Jonathan Dos Santos. We're talking about a stacked midfield. So, I don't know if it's the time with a trophy on the line against a midfield like that to be kind of still giving the kids their experience. That so that that's a question. We'll get you know. I, I'm trying not to dive into the lineup talk for the final just yet, but I did. I do want to make sure I give the props to who deserves the props for the guitar win. We've obviously touched on Turner, Jossie Zardis, the subs off the bench, Giacchini and Williamson. And also, one more time, clap your hands for Miles Robinson because he was once again the steadiest presence, the most reliable presence in the midfield. Because James Sands had an off night. James Sands, James Sands did not have a good game. First time for him in this tournament. And the player, as young as he is, you, you, you chalk it up to that. Say, look, it's going to happen. You're young, you're going to have your nights like that. Shaq Moore didn't have a great game. He started every game in the tournament. You got to think at a certain point, he's going to be a little tired. Sam Vines, good again. I thought Sam Vines was, had another very good game. He's locked down that spot. He's climbing the left back depth chart. But nobody played better than Miles Robinson on that back line. And one more time, Miles Robinson is, is just adding more and more cement to his spot as a starter when the full squad gets together for qualifying in September. I know I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. He's just been so good, so reliable, so consistent, makes every play you need him to make. 
not only was he making all the defensive plays, but the passing was there. I think he had a plus 90% passing completion percentage, so the passing was sharp. He did it all. It's almost to the point now where you take it for granted, like you expect it. It's like, oh, he's going to do that. Oh, he's got to make that play. Oh, you know he'll do that. He'll, he'll, he'll take care of that. And who knows, maybe it may, maybe the rest of the defense is kind of almost getting a little comfortable with that, knowing that, hey, Miles Robinson can bail you out. If you mess up, Miles Robinson will cover for you. But it, tell you what, his toughest test awaits in the final against Mexico. But you like, you like to think Miles Robinson is up for that challenge. But overall, just as a game, I mean, I, you know what? It's interesting because obviously the subs made a huge difference. And Qatar clearly faded. But of course, you can't help. There's always gonna, there's always the people who there's there's this group of I think there's a group of fans. There's a group of U.S. fans. Who I'm gonna call them never Berhalters. They're just never gonna buy into Greg Berhalter as the coach. They don't rate him. They don't think he's any good. And no matter what he does, he he doesn't get credit if they do well, and he gets all the blame if they do badly. And I mean, I'm of the mind that look, if if there's something to get on a coach for. Clearly, if he costs you a game or if he, you know, clearly makes mistakes, then yes, you call him on that. But I mean, the the gymnastics, the mental gymnastics that some people are going to try to not give Berhalter credit is, is hilarious to me. And it's just basically you have a segment of fans that aren't on the train. They aren't on the Berhalter train. And I'm not here to say, hey, get on the train. But I'm here to say, I mean, at one point, do you start really t- like listening to yourself? And everything that you try to justify to not give this guy credit. Because, I mean, if I had told you in April that the U.S. men's national team would win Nations League, beat Mexico's first team, full squad, full strength team, with your full strength team, very young full strength team, you beat them in a final, you win a trophy. And then he takes a younger team or a less experienced U.S. team to the Gold Cup and gets them all the way to the final undefeated, allowing one goal in five matches. If I had told you, if I had told you Berhalter did all that back in April, I said, look, this is what's going to happen. Like, who would not be, who would, who would listen to that? Who would hear that list of accomplishments and say, you know what, I don't know, Berhalter, I don't think he's doing a good job. It's like, you got to give the guy credit. He's done the job to this point. And obviously, I still remember his early days, his first year, when they obviously took their lumps. They got smoked by uh, by Mexico. Well, they lost the Gold Cup final in Mexico, and then they get smoked by Mexico in a friendly. They took their lumps, and there was quite, there were clear questions there, like, what's Berhalter doing? How is he how is he how is this team taking these losses? How is this team having these kind of results? But guess what? Now here we are a year later, two years later. The team is winning. Young players are developing, young players are coming along. He's actually playing young players. And that's one thing that stands out for me is the, is the Gold Cup as much as he said, "Look, we want to look at young players, we want to look at new faces." It's one thing for a coach to say that, and another for them to stick to that and stand by that, even when those young players struggle. And isn't that what a lot of fans wanted? A lot of U.S. fans wanted when this tournament began was like, hey, I want Busio to, I want Busio to play. I want DK to play. I don't want, like, it, you know, you heard it. And people said it. They wanted DK to start. They didn't want Dardis to start. They want Busio to start. 
they don't want Roldan to start. And guess what? He's Berhalter's done that. He's gone against what I think most people would have expected. I think most people would have expected Zardis to be starting at striker for most of the tournament. But guess what? Berhalter has given DK every opportunity. Most people, I think, would have expected Roldan to have a starting role for most of this tournament. Guess what? Busio has been given that opportunity. So what more do you want? He, he plays the young players. They haven't done so well, but the team has continued to win. But, I, I mean, I guess at that point it's like, oh, well, the young players aren't playing well. That's Berhalter's fault. I mean, I don't know. At a certain point, you got to be realistic. At a certain point, you have to give the guy credit. And at a certain point, you have to consider maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong about these young players being ready. Maybe I was wrong about Berhalter leaning too heavily on older players. And for me, I got to be honest, like I was in that camp of where I thought Berhalter would lean on the older players too much in a Gold Cup. Or he would just inevitably lean on them. Starting in the knockouts. I thought, come the quarterfinals, you're you're not going to see Busio and DK start. I didn't think I didn't think you would. The fact that he's done that is is I see growth actually. I see growth as a coach in Berhalter, where he's going away from from where what probably was what you could definitely say was a a, pen, a penchant for for leaning on his quote unquote his guys. I think he's fully embraced the idea of bringing in young talent, developing young talent, giving them their opportunity. Look at Matthew Hoppy. Matthew Hoppy's twenty years old. He hadn't even played professionally yet. Eight. Months ago, you know, he just broke through which at Schalke in January, right? He's 20 years old. Maybe he's 21 now. And Berhalter's getting questions about what took so long to call him up. I thought that was pretty hilarious. But guess what? Hoppy has been, has been put in the starting lineup and he's been thriving. So I think that's great. I just think it's, it's aside from the wins, aside from getting to the final, I think the big takeaway and the big bo- the big plus of the whole Gold Cup is the fact that these young players have been given their opportunities and have gained experience that that that's going to help them. James Sands, I mean, come on, a lot of outs, a lot of people who don't follow MLS closely, a lot of people who aren't you know don't watch NYCFC didn't know about James Sands, had no idea, or didn't know much because obviously he never really had a role in the youth national team setup. And now look at him. I mean, I know he, he's coming off of his worst game of the tournament, but still, overall, James Sands has been incredible. He's taken full advantage of the opportunities. Walker Zimmerman's injury, he steps in. 5-3-2, he steps in, looks amazing. So, my, my, for me, as much as it's still, you still have a final, you still play Mexico in a final, and anytime you play Mexico and you have a chance to beat Mexico, you want to take that opportunity. But no matter what happens on Sunday, for me, this tournament is already a victory. This tournament is already a win. It's already a bonus. It's already a benefit to the program because of what has happened with these young players. The experience they've gotten, the way some of these players have really blossomed and emerged. Sam Vines, another one. There were some questions about Sam Vines coming off Olympic qualifying. I think he's established himself now in this tournament. So as much, as much as no, the U.S. has not scored five goals a game. They're not blowing every, anyone, everyone out. They're getting, you know, it's all 1-0 wins, which is obviously on some levels nerve-wracking. And maybe to some is not entirely convincing. It's like, ah, 1-0, you're supposed to beat them by more. 
Guitar, perfect example. I guarantee you some people look at that and say, why did you have so much trouble with guitar? Well, for one, this is pretty much guitar's full strength team. They're the Asian champions. Their entire squad is veterans. Their entire squad, I, I believe the number was, I think they had like, they averaged like 40 more caps or it could have been even more, more caps per player than the U.S., so you're talking about a veteran team that has played together for years, that has won a title together. A lot of them play on the same club teams. I think most of them play on two club teams. So you have all of that. You have all those things that can help a team come together and be better and be more dangerous and be more effective. And that's what you have. You have a Qatar team that is a solid team. And it's the same team that's going to be in Qatar in 2022. So for a young U.S. team to get that victory, even though it was a tough one, even though the first half looked shaky, the first Matt Turner had to be Superman, they got the win. They beat a veteran team. You took your kid, you put it up, put him up against the older kid, and they won. What more do you want? Yes, 4-0 would have been great. And guess what? If it was 4-0, it would have been like, oh, it's Qatar. You're supposed to beat Qatar 4-0. Some people are never going to be happy, but for 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 rational people, I think you sh- if you look at it objectively, that that game, the semifinal for me, that was a great game. It was a perfect test for this group. James Sands grew up in that game because he re- he learned then that it's not always going to be easy. He learned then how to cope in a match that where things aren't going your way. And how to how to how to survive and how to get through the the tough parts and just finish a game. And he's not the only one. A lot of players grew up in that guitar game, and a lot of players have grown up in this Gold Cup. And that's why, for me, it's already a victory no matter what happens on Sunday. So now the question becomes: Who starts against Mexico? And I'm not going to spend an hour on that because we, I think we're we're almost thirty minutes in, but. I pretty much have it here. I'll lay it out for you. I'll try to be quick on why. Up front, Matthew Happy starts. Absolutely. And I did think it was funny that when he came off the bench, he obviously wasn't happy about it. And he let Berhalter know. And Berhalter's like, sit down. Just sit down. You're good. It's all right. We got this. And obviously, Berhalter, they had it. They they made the subs, and the subs made the difference. But Happy, you got to love the, the competitiveness. And he just makes things happen. He was, he was, honestly, in the attack, he was the only bright spot among the starters. So he starts on the left, guaranteed. Striker, Jossie Zardes, absolutely 100% has to start, should start. I get the whole, like, wanting to give DK experience thing, but it's you've done it now. It's been three games, semifinal. He's just, like, right, and at a certain point, you're talking about where is the player's confidence right now. And I don't know if DK's confidence is in a good spot right now. So for me, Zardis starts. And I think for most people at this point, even the most anti-Zardis people have to concede. Like, you know what? You put Zardis, you put Zardis in the lineup against Mexico. He's going to give you an honest shift, and he's going to make some things happen. So that's why he starts. Who starts on the right wing? Big question there. Big, big, big question there. Because, look, Paul Ariola had a better semifinal than quarterfinal. But it still wasn't a great semifinal for me in terms of just not doing not get producing much in the attack. Maybe a bit better defensively. 
However, Al, uh, Christian Rodon, I thought he took a little bit of a step back. He had such a he has such a good quarterfinal. It was going to be a, a tough to to kind of top that, especially coming off the bench again. But I I don't know if Rodon showed enough to unseat Ariola on the right on the right wing as the right forward. So I, I, for me, it's a toss up. But I who do I think Berhalter starts? I think he starts Ariola. I really do. Although I, I think for me, I, like I would probably like maybe, my mind will probably change between now and Sunday, but I would probably start. Mm, I'm torn. All right. You know what? I'll agree with Berhalter. I'll go Ariola. And I know you might think, oh, what about Giacchini? He's been really effective. But you know what? I think he's good off the bench in this tournament for right now. He's he's a really good option off the bench. Who is your midfield? I think Sebastian Legette is obviously one of the starters, and I thought he had a good game. And I don't think he gets enough credit for this, uh, some of the defensive work that he puts in. People see him as more of a flashy player, more of an attack-minded player, and so when he's not contributing those key passes and putting those shots on goal, you think, oh, what is he doing? But no, he actually put in a ton of defensive work against Qatar. He starts. I think that's got to happen. Acosta definitely starts. And then who is in the other spot? Do you go Busio? Or do you go Williamson? I think that's an interesting one. And would it shock me if, if uh, Berhalter went with Busio again one more time? I don't think it would I don't think it would shock me. But I for me, I'm going Williamson. And I think it's because I think I feel like he has an experience edge. I feel like he's played in some big games. Remember now, he was a big factor in in Portland winning the MLS's back tournament. And and I know, look, the MLS's back tournament, are you going to compare that to the Gold Cup? Look, at the end of the day, there was a trophy on the line in a final. Williamson had had a monster game in that final. So he has shown he can step up in a big spot. So for me, and obviously I've, I, I, heading into the Qatar game, I wanted to start Williamson. I, I had suggested Williamson should start. So obviously when he comes in and he has the, the, the cameo that he had and the appearance that he had, that just solidifies that for me. That I really think Williamson, I think, he's, I think he brings a toughness. I think he brings an edge. And when you're talking Mexico, when you're talking Hector Herrera, Edson Alvarez, and Jonathan Dos Santos, very tough midfield, very experienced and strong physical midfield. And I just think Williamson matches up better. Now, whether Berhalter agrees with that, that's, that's another story. But, I mean, I go Williamson, but I think Berhalter, I think he goes... Although, you know, if, 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 other than Busio, I think he could also go roll down. Play roll down centrally. Roll down with his experience. I think he could be an option as well. And actually, for me, you know what? I, I don't... Who, who do I think Berhalter is? I think Berhalter goes with roll down. That's what I think he's going to do. I think as much as it's been about the young players throughout the tournament, I think in the final, go with your veterans. And Roldan played in the, the 2019 uh, Gold Cup final. And I still remember, like, he, you know, there, there was definitely questions. Oh, you know, he didn't do much. He wasn't effective. He came off the bench. He wasn't, he didn't give them anything. I still remember the complaints about that. But I think Roldan, with his experience, MLS Cup finals that he's played in, like, he's someone who will not be, you know, he, he's not going to wither in a final. I think he'll be up for the challenge. 
And then along the back line, the back line is pretty set. Robinson, Sands, and Vines, you lock those guys in. And then the question becomes right back. Do you give Shaq Moore yet another start? Or do you finally turn over to Reggie Cannon? And as much as, uh, you know what, Shaq Moore has had a very good Gold Cup. He's been one of the kind of the revelations of the Gold Cup because I don't know if much was expected of him. Or this, I, I know that this much of, wasn't expected of him. What he's been able to do, not many people would have expected it. Especially with Reggie Cannon on the team. But now that, now that uh, you know, Shaq Moore's got the five games under him, and you got to think, you know, if you watch the Qatar game, it looked, yeah, he looked like maybe he's a bit tired. You have a fresh Reggie Cannon. Reggie Cannon did get a chance to come into the game and get his 30 minutes. I think you go Reggie Cannon in the final. And Reggie Cannon would be one of the few players who in this, in this setup who has actually played in the Gold Cup final. He played in the 2019 final and started against Mexico. So he knows what that experience is like. He knows what the challenge is like. So for me, that experience is invaluable. So I'm going Reggie Cannon... And I think Berhalter is going to go Reggie Cannon, personally. And obviously in goal, Matt Turner. Matt Turner is, has been unbelievable. He's, uh, I mean, he's got to be the goalkeeper of the tournament. I, I mean, I don't know who's even close, to be honest. Oh, Canada's goalkeeper's done all right. I'm going to go Matt Turner. Well, no, everyone's going to go Matt Turner. That's not even a question. But that, for me, is your lineup. Who I think rolled down, who I think Berhalter goes with, and who I would go with. Williamson, I think Williamson's kind of the question. I think I go. I would prefer Williamson. I would go Williamson, but I think Berhalter goes roll down. I think that's the only. I think that's the only one that kind of stands out to me as I can like me and what I think he'll do, what I think Berhalter will do, and what I would do. And who am I? I'm not. I'm not a coach, right? So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a good final. Mexico uh, defeated Canada, and Canada gave Mexico all they could handle. And I told, I said it last episode that that would be the case. That, Mech, that Canada would absolutely push them to the brink. And they could have beaten them. They absolutely could have beaten them. It came very close. Hector Herrera with the winner late. And Canada is going to be such a handful in World Cup qualifying. And they're definitely going to gain confidence from this Gold Cup run. Because I tell you right now, Canada's coming away from the Gold Cup thinking or feeling, believing, we outplayed the U.S. We outplayed Mexico. We can beat anybody. And we didn't even have Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. So I think that's gonna that confidence is gonna carry into the group into the World Qualifying Campaign. And they're gonna be a handful. But Mexico got the job done. Credit to Mexico. And I mean, I think if anything, as much as yes, it's positive. Like they 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 got the job done. They won. They beat Canada. They made it to the final. But you feel like Canada exposed them a little bit, or Canada showed some kind of chinks in the armor. And let you know that, look, this Mexico team, as much as it's a pretty strong Mexico team, they're not unbeatable. You can get at them. They don't have a deadly finisher up top. They don't have an impenetrable defense. As much as, you know, they hadn't allowed a goal until Canada's goal, Tejon Buchanan, beautiful goal. Tejon Buchanan, unbelievable tournament. How about And how about the night New England had, New England Revolution players had, between Matt Turner, man of the match for the U.S., Tejon Buchanan, man of the match for Canada, basically. But Canada, I think Canada showed that Mexico, you can get at Mexico. And so for me, I think that's, you know, it's as much as, look, Mexico's the favorite. Mexico's the favorite in the final. There's no, there's no denying that. 
They've been the favorite since the before the tournament even began. Once we knew what the, what the rosters were, they were the favorites. Even after Irving Lozano got injured and knocked out of the tournament, what do they do? They go get uh, Rodolfo Pizarro. They go, you know, dust him off from rescue him from Inter Miami, the disaster in Miami. And what does he do? He sets up the winner in the semifinal. It was Pizarro's assist on the Herrera goal. So look, Mexico, they're, they're going to be a handful, obviously. And we've seen in Gold Cups before, Mexico just abused the U.S. Obviously, the 2019 final was very close, very tight, tightly contested final. But that was a, that was a veteran U.S. team. Veteran U.S. team against a veteran Mexico team, and it was a close, close game, 1-0. U.S. had the better of the first half. Mexico had the better of the second half, and they found the goal. And for those who don't remember, that game was close as much as, I don't know, I feel like there's a revisionist history that likes to suggest that Mexico was just dominant in the Gold Cup final in 2019. They were not dominant. The U.S. was the better team in the first half. Mexico, the better team in the second half. Difference was Josie, Josie Altador misses a great wide open chance in the first half. He needs to put away. Doesn't put it away. Mexico, on the other hand, they put their goal away. 1-0. They win. This time around, it's, I, I, think it, I think it's going to be another tight defensive game. And it's really going to come down to the midfield. I think the battle of the midfield is going to be key because I think the U.S. defense against the Mexican attack is a good matchup, a pretty even matchup, or a potentially even matchup. I think the midfield is where the U.S. could really struggle, and it's really going to be incumbent upon Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Leggett, whoever else starts with them, whether it's Roldan, whether it's Busio, whether, whether it's Williamson. They have a huge task of not allowing Mexico to dominate the middle, dominate possession, have their way with, with just keeping the ball and knocking it around and, and, pe- and picking and pecking at the U.S. defense. If anything, that guitar, one of the good things of the, about the guitar match is that it's going to give Berhalter something to, to work on with his team. Because the, the U.S. midfield just wasn't good enough in the first half against Qatar. And it's going to need to be better. They're going to need, need to be a lot better at closing down the playmakers. They couldn't keep up with Qatar's playmakers. So they need to deal with that. Because I'm telling you, Mexico is, is going to be coming for... They're going to be coming for that U.S. defense. Tata Martino is not sitting back. I think Tata Martino is going to attack. I think he's going to watch that Qatar game. And he's going to say, we can beat them, we can overwhelm them, we can dominate them in the midfield, and we can create chances. And they can. They absolutely can, especially if the U.S. midfield isn't up to the challenge. So that, that's really where the game's going to be won or lost. And I know that's, you know, no, no kidding. Usually the midfield is a big part of the, the whole thing. But in this game especially, U.S. midfield needs to step up. So what do I see happening in the final the final score? So I'm going to be there. I'll be in Vegas, and it's actually, I've been to every final since 2005, and I've covered every Gold Cup, at least to some degree, since 2000. Uh, yes, I'm an old man. Um, so I'll be out there, and what do I see happening? I mean, it's going to be, a, it's supposed to be a sellout, right? Full stadium in Las Vegas, definitely pro-Mexico crowd. But we've seen the U.S. win in a pro-Mexico crowd, at a Gold Cup final, 2007, in Chicago. Still remember, Benny Fellhaber. Although that was a long time ago, 14 years ago now. Crazy, right? 14 years ago already. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go with, I, I'm going to pick Mexico uh, as much as it pains me. I, I mean, look, they, they're the favorites. And honestly, the pressure's on Mexico. 
I mean, think about that. If Mexico loses the final, what is Tata's? What is Tata Martino's response to that? What does he say to that? You have a very strong team, and if he if if they lose, and he comes out and starts talking about how they don't have Lozano, how they have you know Memo Cho is at the Olympics. You start making those excuses. I'm sorry. Even the Mexican media, they're not going to buy that. They're going to point to the fact that you've lost to the U.S. in two straight finals in the same summer. Including a Gold Cup final against a U.S. team that's like hardly any of their first. None of, almost, who's the first choice player on the, in, this, in this lineup? So, I mean, <laughs> you know what? And, and, and I'm sure some Mexican fans are going to I'm sure some Mexican fans are going to say, oh, it's convenient. You want to put the pressure on Mexico. It, the pressure is on Mexico. Once the rosters came out, and once we saw that the U.S. was bringing a young team, very experimental team, and Tata Martino decided, you know what? I'm bringing most of my guys. I'm bringing everyone I can bring. Never mind that I just had them together at Nations League. Never mind that World Cup qualifying is just a month away. I'm bringing my almost full-strength team together. What happens? Irving Lozano right off the bat, major injury. And now if you then lose in the final, I mean, what a disaster that would be. And we've seen it before. We've seen the Mexican national team chew up and spit out coaches for for losing to the U.S. and for losing in general. They, there's not a lot of patience there. There's not a lot of patience there. So if you lose to the U.S. in the second straight final, Tata Martino all of a sudden starts to really feel the heat. Does that mean he's getting fired? No. I don't think Tata's going to get fired. World Cup qualifying is a month away. You're not going to, you know, like, you still, you still got to give Tata his respect as a manager. He's still a very good manager. As much as Mexican, the Mexican media, Mexican fans would be absolutely furious if Mexico lose, lost to the U.S. In, in the Gold Cup final. I don't think he's going to get fired. But he'd have a lot to answer for. And as far as Burhalter goes, I mean, look, at the end of the day, as I said earlier, you have your never Burhalters, your fans who just are never going to buy into the Burhalter thing, never going to buy into him as a coach, never going to give him credit no matter what happens, no matter what the results are. But if the U.S. loses, and especially if they lose badly, you know the, you know the pylon will come from that segment. I think anyone rationally looking at this all rationally and, and, and realistically putting it in the proper context, the, the mission has been accomplished in this tournament. And <laughs> to go in line with the Vegas motif, right now the U.S. is playing with house money. They're playing with house money. They can't lose. They, they, what, you know, what's on the line right now, if they win, oh, great. Then they've come away with a big winner. But even if they lose, this is still a win. This Gold Cup's still a win. I don't know how you could say otherwise. With all the players who've, who've, who've developed, all the players who've impressed, all the players who've stepped up, and as we've said in past episodes on more than one occasion, the main goal of this Gold Cup was to identify players to help provide more depth for World Cup qualifying. And you've absolutely done that. You've done that at center back. You've done that at left back. You've done that at right back. You've done that on the forward line. Look at Matthew Hoppy. You're feeling pretty good right now about Matthew Hoppy being able to help you. And as a wide player, when before the tournament, all, in, all some people wanted to complain about was Matthew Hoppy playing wide. What is that? Why play him wide? Look at the guy play wide. He's been great. That's really where he should play in the U.S. setup. 
He's not a striker. He's not a target striker. Put him out wide. Give him that freedom to roam around and pick spots. He's great at that. He's shown that in, in this Gold Cup that he's great at that. So this is why, for me, Gold Cup's already a win. I'm picking Mexico to win. But again, it wouldn't. Sh- and look, I pick, and I, just to remind everybody, I picked Mexico to win the Nations League final. And the reason I did it was because I, as much as, and I've been at the forefront of calling this the golden generation of the U.S. I've been saying it for mo- for years now that this generation of talent was special that was coming up, coming along. And I I thought this group needed the main group. I thought the main group needed maybe a little more seasoning, maybe another six months, and come the fall they were ready to take over Concacaf. But guess what? They did it early. They beat they beat Mexico in the Nations League final. And this time around. Could we see the same thing? Potentially. But I do think Mexico, with their experience advantage, versus this particular U.S. group, I have to go with Mexico in the final. I just think they, they get it done. I just think they have too much experience. And I just don't think the U.S. has enough. But again, you have Matt Turner in goal, playing the way he's playing. You have the defense playing with real confidence. I mean, James Sands obviously needs to kind of rebuild to some confidence maybe, but I think he's, a, he's the type of player that will shake it off. I don't think he's losing an ounce of sleep over his performance in the semifinal. I think he'll be ready to go for the final. So that's why I think it'll be a close game, but I think at the end of the day, Mexico, their attacking players finish their chances. So I'll, go t- I'll say 2-1 Mexico, but again, it would not shock me if the U.S. wins. And how great would it be if Jossie Zardes scores the winning goal to beat Mexico and finally, hopefully, then finally earn the respect of those who have been ragging on him and trashing him for years. And his, you know, his main crime being not that the being that he's not a teenager, that he's not young, that he's not playing in Europe. If he does that, then that's really got to be it. Then you really got to give the guy his respect. If he if he can score in the Gold Cup final against Mexico, then you got to give him his respect. But we'll see. It should be a good final. Moving on, the U.S. women's national team defeated the Netherlands in the Olympic quarterfinals after a two-two regulation score. And what a what a cr- just crazy, dramatic, amazing, unbelievable game. And no one should be surprised by that. These are the two teams that played in the Gold Cup final just two years ago. And, I mean, basically this should have been the Olympic final, or at least the semifinal. But look, we got it early. And the Netherlands gave the, the, the U.S. women all they could handle. I mean, they score first. And then they had a chance to take the lead in the 81st minute on a penalty kick. And Alyssa Nair. I mean, wow. I mean, think about the pressure... 81st minute penalty. You have to save it. If you don't save it, you're looking at probably elimination from the Olympics. And not only does a listener save that penalty, Anlika Martins, who's by the way, excellent player for Barcelona, excellent player, saves her penalty and gets the team to the penalty shootout and then saves two more penalties, including the first penalty. By Vivian Miedema, who who's the Dutch team's star player, who had scored both goals in regulation for the Dutch. Think about Miedema and the conf- Vivian Miedema, one of the best strikers in the world, how much confidence she had to have going into the shootout. Having scored two goals in regulation, she steps up to take the first kick, and Nair denies her with an excellent save. That set the tone at that point. 
because it made the U.S. believe. Not that they needed help believing, because they probably already believe that the veteran team that they are, but it helped. It made them believe, and it definitely shook the Dutch. It had to rattle the Dutch. You see, Meadum, your star player, denied after Mar- Leak and Martin's penalty in, re- in regulation, denied. So at that point, you kind of knew. And then you see the penalties the U.S. took. Rose Lavelle, Kristen Press, Alex Morgan, all converted excellently. And then Megan Rapino. I know some people can't stand Megan Rapino. I know some. And look, the people, look, if you have a problem with Megan Rapino, there's a problem with you. Okay? Because her, she is a confident, intelligent, inspiring champion. And if it bothers you that she speaks her mind, and if it bothers you that she has opinions that you don't agree with, it says a lot more about you than it does about her. And she took that penalty. And I can't think of a more impressive game winning in a big moment penalty hit with hit with more venom and more confidence than the one she hit. And she I mean, wow, I, I mean, that's the, that's the only word I can think of is wow. The way she hit that. I mean, like you got to You got to tip your hat. You got to tip your hat. And now look, the U.S. have survived. And they're on to the semifinals where they take on Canada, a team they know well. These teams have battled so many times before. I feel like they always meet in the Olympics. And the U.S. has generally gotten the better of Canada. But you never know in these games when you have two teams that know each other so well. But honestly, I don't see who stops. The, I think right now the U.S. has this new life. Obviously, that first game, that loss against Sweden, was it shook them. And then the game against Australia wasn't all that impressive. But now we see Australia in the semifinals. So maybe that puts that game into a different context. Shows you just how strong a group that they were in, the U.S. So I think the U.S. is going to get the job done. They play on Monday morning. They play Canada. And I think we are going to get a, you know, I think the U.S. beats Canada. And I think the U.S., we get U.S.-Sweden in the final in a rematch. So you go from the first game of the tournament to the last game of the tournament. But I don't know how you bet against the U.S. women now. Now that they've got that momentum, now that they've got that reinstilled confidence of a champion. So, I, I mean, and there, listen there, the way she's, man, unbelievable, unbelievable from her. And U.S. Canada is going to be a fun one. Although, I tell you what, be, Sunday night slash Monday morning is going to be a rough one if you're a U.S. soccer fan, American soccer fan. You have U.S.-Mexico Gold Cup final late night game. I think What is it, a 10 o'clock game? Eastern time, I think it might be. It's a late game, so that thing, and you're talking, it could end at like 1 a.m. Eastern. I could be wrong, but it's ending late. And as of right now, U.S.-Canada semifinal, Olympic semifinal is scheduled for 4 a.m. That's crazy. Get your coffee ready, because that's going to be a long night. Long night. But hopefully a successful night, hopefully a victorious night for both American teams. And I think we've covered both the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, and uh, Americans abroad news. There's not a ton. Uh, Brian Ko has uh, been sent out on loan to the the third Divi- German third division. Uh, Wolfsburg uh, did away with their, U- U- I believe, their U19 team. And Brian Ko is a very promising midfield prospect, former DC United Academy player. He's someone to keep an eye on because he is uh, he's very a very impressive defensive midfield prospect. 
someone who's actually been in a camp with Berhalter, Greg Berhalter before. And I've heard some very good things about him in Germany, impressing people in Germany. And hopefully now he gets this opportunity to continue to, to develop. And another player to, to keep tabs on in Germany is Joe Scally, the former NYCFC fullback and current Borussia Mönchengladbach fullback. He is in line right now, potentially, to be the backup right back for Mönchengladbach and be that much closer to potentially getting first team minutes, which is pretty impressive when you talk about the Bundesliga and a team like Mönchengladbach. So Joe Scali, definitely a name to keep tabs on. And what do you know? Another right back. I mean, I don't know how many right backs the U.S. has. I mean, you're talking, there's probably 10 legitimate right backs right now. And that's not even counting Julian Araujo, who at this point, who knows what he's going to do. And who knows, maybe with all that competition and all those players in the mix, maybe it's all the more reason you can understand if Julian Araujo decides, you know what, I ha- I'll take my chances with Mexico. I have a better chance to play with Mexico. Hopefully he picks the U.S., but, I mean, at this point, if you're a U.S. fan, obviously you're not going to be happy if Araujo goes to, me- to Mexico, but I think you're going to be okay at right back. I really do. Now we'll wrap things up on the MLS front. Uh there's a lot of action, obviously, in terms of trades and signings as, as uh, rosters get kind of finalized here, heading down the stretch as we get into the summer, late summer, the end of the summer. Corey Baird has been traded by LAFC to the Houston Dynamo, and he lasts less than one season in LAFC. And obviously, Bob Bradley and uh, John Thornton have, uh, are making some moves. They're, they're, they're moving some chips around. Obviously, they traded Mark Anthony Kay recently, and now they trade Corey Baird. Now they've got a war chest of allocation money and a team with their resources, a team with their connections on the international front. You wonder what they have in store. And it has to be something. They've got something brewing. And at this point, I haven't seen any reports as far as what, who they have planned to bring in. But you have to think LAFC is, is ready to bring in a big, a big signing. And they're already a pretty solid team. They're already one of the better teams for me, one of the better teams in MLS. And so now if they have the resources now with the allocation money if they can add one more blue chip player i mean th- that could be the difference right there and push them that much closer to the very top because they're pretty much right up there when you have diego rossi and carlos vela in your attack you're doing pretty well already so we'll see what they do there it's actually a very good weekend in terms of matchups uh as much as the gold cup finals the the focus this weekend there's actually some very good games this week in MLS. You have NYCFC against the Columbus Crew, LA Galaxy against Portland Timbers. I was actually considering getting trying to get to that match when I was booking my travel uh, for the Gold Cup final. I was going to try to take a detour to LA to see Galaxy Timbers, to see LAFC Sporting KC next week. Unfortunately, that will not I will not be doing that. But yeah, there's some big games there. Red Bulls, New England Revolution is a good one. Revolution on a roll. I think about the Revolution as well. as They've continued to play well. They don't have Matt Turner. They don't have Tejon Buchanan. And they have not missed a beat. So think about where they're going to be once they get those guys back. I mean, you have to talk. When the conversation about MLS, legitimate MLS Cup contenders, they are in that. They're on the short list. And once they get Buchanan and and Turner back, I'm I'm very curious to see just how, you know, if do they just go on a run? Do they not lose again heading into the playoffs? And lastly, you have Orlando City, Atlanta United. Obviously, the rivalry there is always it always leads to to lends itself to a good matchup. Orlando City coming off of that ugly loss to NYCFC. Atlanta United obviously still dealing with life after Gabriel Hines' firing. 
So that should that should be an entertaining one. And then you have Sporting Kansas City FC Dallas. FC Dallas, their first match after Ricardo Pepe's hat trick. Sporting KC coming off their big win against Seattle. I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. And as I mentioned last episode, Ricardo Pepe, seven goals in eight matches. However, he has not scored a goal on the road. So let's see if he can do it at Sporting KC. Because if he could do it there in front of that, in that packed stadium, in that hostile environment against that very good team, that for me would be as impressive as any of the goals or the hat trick he scored against LA. Because that, that's different. I mean, it's goals are goals. Goals are impressive, period. But scoring on the road against a very good team in a very hostile environment, you get a lot more points for that. And we'll see if he can do that because he's on a roll right now. He's playing with confidence. And you'd like to think he's going to keep putting pressure on Greg Berhalter for that September call-up for World Cup qualifying. Well, I think that wraps it up. I think we've covered everything. Uh, apologies if there's anything that I've missed. I feel like this episode's already going to be pretty long. We're looking at an hour. Uh, and that's it. I mean, I think, I, you know, there were some things I wanted to, to touch on uh, to g- let people know, let you all know that all you, the regular SBI show listeners to kind of give you some insight on what's going on at SBI. And I'll give you a little news here. If you're at this point in the episode, I feel like I owe it to you to, to share with you since you clearly, if you get to this point in the show, you are a hardcore SBI show listener. So to give you an idea of what's going on at SBI, Basically, the big there's some big changes at SBI in that. For those who don't know the history of the site, uh, it when I began the site as an independent site in 2008, it was just me. I, I produced everything. I wrote all the articles, did all the reporting. It was just me the first couple of years. And then Fox Soccer came along and offered me a job. And at that point, I had already started to kind of bring in writers to kind of contribute. But then when I went to Fox Soccer... I basically built a staff. I built a staff of writers and turned SBI more into kind of a, a, a development academy for aspiring journalists. And I had a dream team of writers in those early years. I mean, it's a, it's a, for me, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to brag, but it was, you know, pre, pretty much a who's who right now of American soccer journalists that were part of that early group. I like to call myself the Arson Wenger and those are, and that, that team was my invincibles. I mean, unbelievable group. So fast forward for so for ten years now, it, SBI has been more of a staff-driven site. Now I've contributed here and there. Uh, you know, obviously I spent uh, two and a half years at Fox Soccer, and after that I spent six years at Goal.com. And when I was at those sites, I wrote less for SBI, and it was more about the staff. Now, obviously, a few years ago I left Goal.com, and then I started to contribute again to SBI. But I was still playing that kind of teacher role, that kind of mentor role, which has been the big part of SBI and why people have chosen to, to, to work for me and write for me, because I really take pride in, in helping writers develop and helping journalists, uh, you know, give them the platform and also work with them because it's not just about them contributing to the site. It's also about teaching them, helping them get better. And I feel like it's been a great system because you've seen all the people that have come through our academy, quote unquote, that have moved on to jobs all over the industry. And it's been, I think it's been great. Now getting out to fast forward a bit. So here we are. I'm kind of at a point right now. I'm at a bit of a crossroads where I have kind of gotten away from what I do best as a, as a journalist, as a writer, and really just focusing on producing content, writing articles, breaking stories, doing interviews, kind of gotten away from that. Cause I've really put a lot of time into continuing to develop writers and working with the staff and and doing editing, all the editing and all the, you know, writing, coaching and all that. 
So I've kind of gotten away from what I, what's kind of my main thing, which is obviously writing and reporting, interviewing, podcasting, videos, you name it, right? So I kind of have reached this point where I said, you know what, I have to make a decision. And I've made that decision, and the decision is that I will bring the site back to what it was originally. So it will be me providing all the content. I'll be writing all the articles. It's going to be obviously a different setup than it's been because obviously SBI has really become this kind of 20, almost 24 uh, seven place for news and articles. And I'm definitely going to do my best to, to, to maintain a good level. But the whole point of this is to just give, allow me to focus on reporting, to focus on producing my own articles, my own content, my own interviews, and get back to doing what I do best. And it doesn't mean I still don't like teaching and I don't like mentoring. I, like that's always going to be a part of me, but I just, at a certain point, there's only so many hours in the day. And if I was going to really focus on this project and focus on building something different and, and reestablishing myself really as a writer, I needed to make this move. And it wasn't an easy decision. It's not an easy decision by any means because I have a good group of guys now, a good group of our staff right now, you know, some really hardworking writers that, you know, I, I, I wish nothing but the best for and that I will continue to help and try to work with and, and try to make sure that they continue to evolve and develop and improve as, as writers. I'll mo- I'm, you know, anyone who's ever written for me will tell you that I don't stop being a mentor. I don't stop being someone that they can talk to. That's always going to be there. But whether it's Larry Henry Franco Panizzo, Tyler Snipes, we, Skylar Rolstadt, we, we've got a Matt Singer, we've got a, we've got a good group, Jason Mitchell, my Seattle writer who for, for a decade now, great, great writer. We got a good group of guys, good group. We have a good group of writers that are, I think they're going to do really well for themselves. And who knows, maybe they'll come together and, uh, and, and create something new. That, that, that's something that we're, we're looking at. But for me, and just to give you the heads up, come August, come this new month, you will see SBI change back to Soccer Bivis. And from there, you'll see you'll see some more changes. And hopefully, you'll see better content. Hopefully, you'll see better from me and more from me. Because I've, I've kind of been slacking on the, on the content production front. I'll be completely honest. At least I feel that way. Some people might disagree, but I feel that way. So that's what's coming. And hopefully that, hopefully that will give you, the listeners and readers and viewers, better content more quality content and allow me to get back to doing what I do best because I feel like that's, that's my, that's kind of my wheelhouse and I've gotten away from that. And for those who don't know that, or those who don't remember me from the, from when that was my wheelhouse, when, when I did that exclusively, well, now you're going to see, you'll see what I can do. So that's all for now. I mean, fully, uh, I definitely appreciate the time for everyone listening. We've gone, uh, this has got to be an hour 10, an hour five going on this, uh, this little soliloquy, but I, I just had to get, you know, let everyone know what's coming. And, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting month of August and, uh, there'll be some other changes afoot. I am planning, as I mentioned a long, uh, I want to say a month ago, I am launching a Patreon page, which will be a subscription page for my featured content for my, like my biggest features. And uh, th- there'll be some transitioning to that. So you, you, you'll you see that all kind of play itself out in August. And at the end of the day, I just hope I can produce the kind of content that you enjoy and that you learn from and that helps you helps your experience as an American soccer fan be better. 
and more complete. That's all I'm hoping for. So come along for the ride. And and definitely, if you've been along for the ride, thank you so much for continuing to support. Support me, support SBI. And hopefully we can just keep getting better as we move along through 2021. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarset. This is the SBI Show.